I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. How do you move on in your life from a catastrophic injury? Returning to Purpose 360 is Gerilyn Ritter. You might recall our stirring conversation about a year ago about her miraculous recovery from the horrific train derailment of Amtrak 188 on May 12, 2015. Gerilyn was not expected to survive. Yet through the love of her family, through her friends, through her fierce determination and her bravery, through her fight with constant pain, but also her support from her employer. She had been at Merck for over 12 years, most recently president of the Merck Foundation and SVP and corporate secretary. So she fought. And for two and a half years, she was not at work. But when she returned to work, serendipity shined on her because Merck was considering spinning off their women's healthcare business. And they did. And Gerilyn wanted to do something even more compelling, even more aligned with her heart, with her soul, and that was women's health. So today we're going to talk about this new company, the spinoff. Now, you may not have heard of Organon. It's a two-year-old startup that started as a spinoff with $6.1 billion dollars almost 10,000 employees. So it was a very large startup, but it focused totally on women's health. Gerilyn and her colleagues knew the culture was the core, as in every purposeful company purpose at the center, culture will drive the behaviors that will drive the company forward. So let's get started with an extraordinary woman that I am so, so thankful to bring on to Purpose 360, Gerilyn Ritter. Thank you. I'm delighted to be back here with you all. Gerilyn, can you please just share a little bit about your background and your journey to Organon? I am a lawyer by training, but I don't practice law anymore. I've worked in healthcare for a couple of decades now. And uh, about 15, 16 years ago, I ended up at Merck leading global public policy, uh, corporate responsibility. I served as president of the Merck Foundation. I really fell in love with this purpose-oriented work. I love my role at Merck. While I was there, and this goes back about eight years, um, I unfortunately was in a catastrophic train derailment on an ordinary business trip uh, coming back from Washington, D.C. to New Jersey. Uh, I very nearly lost my life, and I was on total disability for almost two and a half years. I mention that only because after two and a half years, when I finally was able to restart my career, rejoin the workforce, I had had the opportunity to do a lot of thinking about how I wanted to spend my time. I was so grateful to have survived the accident, to have survived with my mental faculties intact. And I had friends that asked me, you know, 
why are you going back to corporate life? You know, after all you've been through, it really did make me think about it. I thought, you know, I'm not done yet. And I'm not going to let, you know, Amtrak decide when my career is over. And I believe in what we do. And I also promised myself that the day that that stopped being true, that that I didn't believe I was having an impact going into the office every day would be the day that I did something else with 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 my time. So I made that decision. I, I went back to Merck. I so appreciate the character of that company that they waited for me for two and a half years. And then shortly thereafter, Merck made a really exciting decision. And it was born out of really their success in oncology and in vaccines and other areas of medicine. And they recognized that the women's health portfolio wasn't getting the time, wasn't getting the investment, the attention that it needed, uh, not just to make these products more wi- widely available, but to really serve the needs of women that are out there. And so they took the decision to spin out women's health and a, and a couple other product lines, biosimilars or established brands, and form a completely independent company. And I, 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 I kind of joke sometimes that we got to be a startup at scale, right. you know, because <laughs> from, from, from day one, we were, uh, you know, spun out from Merck as a brand new company. We had to build a brand new board of directors. We had a new name. We, we, you know, <laughs> many of the communicators on your call will, will maybe smile. You know, we were deciding what are our corporate colors? I mean, it was really that, <laughs> you know, from the ground. But at the same time, we had this established portfolio. We were selling into 140 countries. We had multi-billion dollar market cap. And, and so, you know, we got to think about impact from day one as well. One thing I want to go back before we talk all about Organon, and that is that for our listeners, you are the mother of Merck for Mothers. So can you briefly just share what Merck for Mothers was? Because it was just extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It really is. And Merck for Mothers, the experience there was one of the things that made me so excited to raise my hand and, and say I wanted to jump into the work at Organon. Because there again, we started with a blank slate. We were given a challenge. What is something big that Merck can do? No real guidance on therapeutic area. And we spent a lot of time thinking about what are the biggest challenges out there? And at the time, we decided to focus on maternal mortality because it was the Millennium Development Goal that was furthest behind. And we said, just outrageous. It still is outrageous and unacceptable that so many women die preventable deaths in childbirth. But that, that excitement about starting from scratch to address a need that's out there, that's kind of the passion and the excitement that we brought to Organon as well. And a focus on women's health. And, and I love that, that your tagline is here for her health. Which, which is wonderful. So let's talk about that white sheet of paper. You had to create a name. What does Organon mean? 
so it's it's interesting because Organon was a shining star in in European pharma. They were an innovator in some of the very first contraceptives ever discovered. That company was bought by Shearing Plow. Shearing Plow ultimately merged with Merck. And so as Merck was deciding, fast forward about a decade, to spin out women's health as an independent company, they thought, well, you know, we can come up with something completely brand new or we can build on literally a century of experience in the business and a century of relationships and expertise and that, that legacy. And so they, we are a new company, new logo, new leadership, but they reached back and, and, uh, kind of revived, if you will, the Organon name because it really means something in women's health. And that's what a great purpose is. It goes back to that heritage. It finds that distinct differentiation that that is authentic. And then it pulls it forward into how do we scale? How do we take our brilliance today and tomorrow? I would love you to talk about your board because you have nine women on your board. I'd be happy to. And that was another cool thing about getting to launch this company as a spinoff. Because most corporate boards, as you know very well, directors come up, they retire maybe one every other year, you know, and, and director refreshment is a very slow process. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that it's taking so long to diversify corporate boards, especially in the U.S. Uh, the average age of board members has been going up, so people are staying on boards even longer. But with Organon, we had to put in place an entirely new board, again, all at once. So we had the opportunity to really do that skills matrix and say, okay, what are the key skills we need on you know, to manage and help guide this brand new company. We knew we needed scientific expertise. We needed public health expertise around women's health. Of course, you need the things like financial expertise. We didn't set out to have a certain ratio of men versus women. We set out to build a diverse board, of course. But you know, it, it turns out when you, when you open the aperture a little bit and when you set out to build a diverse board and you've got, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 slots to work with. I don't want to say it's easy because it's not. And there was a lot of intentionality around how we did it, but it's not as hard as people make it out to be. But somehow this needs to take us decades to get more women on boards. No, it doesn't. Those women are out there <laughs> and not all of them are retired CEOs. But that's okay. They're CFOs. Or, or divisional or business unit. You, you have a woman from P&G who is CEO of a business unit. So, so that's incredible. I also have to say that you have more women on your board than any other company in the S&P 500. That's exactly right. So I want to give you, give you those, that kudos. The average in the S&P 500 is roughly about 32, 33%. 
that number is going up very slowly, slowly frustratingly right, slowly. Right, At right. Oregon, we're almost 70%. We're 69% women. And you may not know this, 46% racial and ethnic minorities. Um, and again, we didn't start out to hit some kind of number. We started out saying, who's out there? Who are the really good folks out there? And guess what? They're all diverse. They are. We're really getting into like some of the key, key, you know, foundational elements that brings your purpose to life. So I would love you to, um, your purpose, why don't you say what it is? Our purpose is her promise. And, and we are guided by the, the very simple premise, simple but powerful, that every single one of the four billion <laughs> women and girls in the world has a unique promise, has this unique potential. And our role is to help them achieve their promise through better health. Because we know that when you remove the barriers around women's health care, you are paving the way to better education, more empowerment, a healthier life, not just for her, but for her family and her children. When the CEO and his direct reports were named, our chief financial officer, our general counsel, our chief commercial officer, our very first meeting together was to do an all-day, we all locked in a room with masks and big plastic barriers between us because this was during COVID. (laughs) And we spent hours talking about nothing but these topics. What is the vision of this company? What are our values? And we said, if we do nothing else, we've got to build the culture that reflects that. That's absolutely the right way to do it. It's beautiful. And I love the way you've done very smart wordsmithing because you talk about her promise, which is a very high level purpose. It allows you to really grow. And then it allows you also to tell the story that a woman achieves her promise through education, through being able to decide when or when she's going to have a family, which I know is a major focus. And so, so we're going to get into some of those details, but I, but I love some, again, some of this copy where you call, and I don't know if it's your vision or your purpose, but you say a better and healthier every day for every woman, every day for every woman. Exactly. That is our vision statement. And that, that statement, a better, a better and healthier every day. Not just when you're a teenager, not just when you're trying to get pregnant or trying to not get pregnant, <laughs> but a better and healthier every day for every woman. And, and the point about every woman is, of course, our ambition to be global and to serve women around the world. Let's talk a little bit about your values. Because you talked very much about culture, that you got all the senior leadership in a room and you duke it out in terms of, you know, what is our purpose and our vision? The values are very cool. From be real to own it, rise together, keep moving, bring your fire. I love that one. That's my favorite one. Yeah, you are. You're, of course, you're so fiery. And we all belong. So talk a little bit about how these work, because these aren't like your typical, oh, integrity and, you know, collaboration. These are real to how you want to behave. And, you know, I, I appreciate your mentioning kind of the, the words we use to express them, because 
to be honest, that was the toughest part. You know, it can't be this list of here's 20 rules of behavior. (laughs) (laughs) No one's going to remember them. (laughs) But it was a lot of fun to say, okay, instead of saying we value collaboration, we rise together. Instead of saying we value uh, passion and, and we want you to be enthusiastic about work, bring your fire. The values have resonated. I guarantee you that the vast majority of Oregon employees can can tick them off. And that's exactly, you know, tick them off and, and list them. And that's exactly what we wanted. I would also like to get into the area of innovation, because if you when you when I read the website, innovation is everywhere. I mean, it it, it seems to be something, you know, you're seeking new partners, you're seeking perhaps new, uh, you said, devices or medicines or things like that. So in, innovation, it seems to be core to your reason for being. So can you explain where what's that doing to the to operating that? that company into bringing more health care to women? It's a great question because it's just so important. And our focus is absolutely around women's health. And, you know, there are so many conditions, sadly, that uniquely or disproportionately affect women where there has been no innovation. Think of things like conditions like endometriosis affects a tremendous number of women around the world often misdiagnosed, way underdiagnosed, and there have been almost no, very little innovation for decades. Preterm labor, you know, sadly, scary condition affects millions of women and babies. There's nothing. There's been nothing (laughs) approved as effective for preterm labor. There are so many areas of... uh, Women's health, or as I like to say, the health of women, right, that have been underinvested in. You know, we know that uh, I think it's 4% of R&D in the pharmaceutical industry out there is focused on conditions that uniquely affect women, 4%. You know, when you, when you hear that figure, it's, it's perhaps no surprise that you know, all of these conditions have had no new treatments developed for, you know, decades. That That's uh, very second-class citizen, so. Too often, women's pain is not treated the same. And we know that. There have been very robust scientific studies around unconscious bias, and sometimes I think it's conscious bias, uh, around how pain is treated differently in men and women and between races. And things like menopause for too often have been almost a joke. Women are just expected to suffer, you know, uh, suck it up, ha, 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 you're getting a hot flash, you're sweating. And there's not a good recognition for how serious and disruptive these conditions can be. I do have to, again, cite an amazing comment on your website about your culture. And it said, we're called to create what's missing in women's health care. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, talk about bring your purpose, like bring your fire to find what's missing. Find, uh, oh, it's. It's it's great. And you know, it, what's missing is not always a new drug. 
or a new device or a new compound. Sometimes it's education. Sometimes it's advocacy. Sometimes it's funding to support access. We started out by really listening to the communities that we knew were particularly vulnerable, that had particular needs, and that we seek to serve. Again, another incredible way of creating a company that's built to last, and and especially with, with your focus. And I know you've got this extraordinary initiative, her, the Her Promise Initiative, that is uh, to reduce 120 million unplanned pregnancies by 2030. So I'd love you to explain Her Promise, and then is there advocacy as part of that? Absolutely. Happy to do it. And to jump to the end, advocacy is absolutely a part of it, but it is more than advocacy. So women, very often young women, teenage girls are getting pregnant. And for some, maybe an unintended pregnancy is a cause of joy, a a pleasant surprise. But all too often, the woman's not ready. Her partner isn't ready. If she's very young, her body isn't ready. Uh, she's not financially, emotionally ready. And the tragedy there is that I, I talked about this generational impact. We know she is far less likely to finish school. She's far less likely to stay in the workforce. And her children are far less likely as well. And so you know, we said, we've got to do something. We can do something and we're going to do something. So we set out that goal. We said, okay, we can make this product available essentially at cost, barely above cost. So it's a sustainable program. This is not just a product donation. And we partner with UNFPA and we partner with the Gates Foundation and ministers, you know, ministries of health around the world to get these modern reversible but modern long-acting contraceptives out to women that need them. How are they delivered? So you're in the 71 poorest countries. So are you working with clinics? Are you establishing clinics? Through partners. So very often it's it's ministries of health and, and governments that are uh, doing the procurement uh, with UNFPA, for example, and distributing through their clinics and their uh, practitioners. In other instances, it's, it's NGOs and, and other actors on the ground that really have the experience and that are part of the community we're seeking to serve. Now, are you doing any of this work in the U.S.? We are. The program is different here, but we just announced uh, in March this year a new program. We call it Her Plan is Her Power. It's part of our, our overall Her Promise initiative, but we we chose that name to focus on the importance of having a plan. We know the statistics that... You know, most pregnancies are unintended. There's a shockingly high rate of sexual assault and sexual violence. And that most older teenagers and college uh, attendees are having sex. And so, you know, it, it frustrates me because I understand differences of opinion, strongly held differences of opinion around abortion. But contraception really ought 
to be accessible to everyone. Thank you. Her plan is her power. I love the wording um, because power is great. Can you talk about the elements? Because you've got grants and you talked about a UNFPA. So can you talk about your partners, please? We wanted to build on the found this this global foundation we have of this long running partnership with UNFPA that is driving access literally to tens of millions of women around the world. But we wanted to, as I said, go further and accelerate progress toward our goal of helping to prevent 120 million unplanned pregnancies. And more and more data has been coming out around the contraceptive deserts in the U.S., the vast swaths of the country and of our population who do not have access to the full suite of birth control alternatives. So we said, you know what? We need to have some of these global partnerships. And we actually, we just this summer signed a new MOU with uh, UNFPA that has some great elements to it, including an innovation challenge where we're partnering with them and with MIT to challenge young people to support and enable the, the development of solutions that increase access to sexual and reproductive health. In the U.S., um, we've got a couple great programs, and there's one of them I'll focus on right now in the interest of time. We've partnered with Direct Relief, and they very well-known, very reputable organization, long history of partnering with many in the healthcare sector. And so we gave them a grant, and we said, we want you to tell us those clinics, those programs that are doing innovative things and, you know, that we could support to advance access to contraception. And I can't announce it yet, but we're getting really close. Uh, our partner, Direct Relief, has just decided the four clinics that will receive this initial round of funding. Uh, they're diverse clinics in different states serving diverse populations uh, and trialing diverse interventions to help bring down this rate of unplanned pregnancy. So we're very excited. Great. So that was a terrific segue to measurement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so again, you're, you've got this six plus billion dollar company with 10,000 <laughs> yes. employees. So you're, but you're starting from scratch in terms of the purpose and bringing it to life. What types of measurement will you use? We've set public goals around gender equity at every level of the company, right? Not just uh, the leaders that are on the website, not just at entry levels, but at every level of the company, we want to make sure that women are progressing through their careers, and we're publishing that data. Uh, we've done very rigorous pay equity studies in our major markets, and we're turning to make sure we do it in all of our markets to make sure that we are indeed living up to our intention, which is, of course, to pay women and men equally for equal work. Uh, so that's that's very exciting. And ben employee benefits is another area that we spent a lot of time thinking about. And in some instances, we have put out new benefits 
that help working families that support women. Uh, we have very generous fertility benefits, for example. We've launched a new program that is uh, very flexible in terms of supporting men and women when they need to take some time to care for someone else. And maybe it's a child, maybe it's an older parent, but we know from the, the research that those caregiving responsibilities tend to fall unequally on men versus women. And in other instances, it wasn't that we needed to put out a new benefit, but we needed to take a gender lens to some of our existing benefits. And we looked at our uh, our grief leave, you know, our, our leave of absence when someone loses a family member, and we realized it didn't specifically provide for miscarriage. It was silent. You know, it talked about a spouse or a child. And, and that bereavement leave, we said, wait a minute, that's an oversight. You know, this is a real loss and, and people grieve it in different ways, but we shouldn't just leave it up to manager discretion. People should be entitled to take time and grieve and heal from a miscarriage. That's very smart. Um, I'm curious about how are you tying those, the structural and the new benefits and the revised benefits into your recruiting actions? It's really interesting. And some of this evidence is is indirect, but it's really compelling. On International Women's Day, we gave the entire company the day off. We said, you know what? This is a global holiday. It's not just the U.S. It is, it's actually more, uh, recognized and well known in some countries outside the U.S. On that day, the first day we did it was, uh, 2022 and we did it again this year. Searches to our careers job page spiked like you wouldn't believe. Went up. I, I'm going to forget the statistic, but something like 3,000%. Wow. <laughs> We got this incredible spike of of job seekers coming to our career page looking for opportunities at Organon. So the mission resonates. The mission really does resonate with employees. You're walking the talk. You also won a lot of awards already. You won the Comparably Awards in all sorts of different areas. <laughs> we, best, wait, best company, best compensation, HR team, diversity, global culture. There are about 10 of them. But you also have won some other ones. I really appreciate the question because I am so excited. The press release just came out today. Uh, Organon, as a company that has, you know, was only launched uh, in its current form two years ago, a little over two years ago, was recognized on Fortune's 2023 Change the World list. Oh, that's fantastic. That That is, that is, it's a really, really important list. So congratulations. That is not an obscure list from an organization you've never heard of, right? It's no, no, no. Fortunes Change the World list, and we were specifically cited for leadership and expanding access to contraceptives. So we're, we're thrilled. We're very excited. We're very proud because this is what we're all about. Unfortunately, we have to wind down. And, and so I always love to give the mic to you about what haven't we discussed? Because there's a lot, but there might be some other areas that you really want to touch upon. So over to you, Gerilyn. You know, I think I will close with just to reiterate 
the value of listening to the communities we want to serve. And I know that should go without saying, and and we always intend to do that. But when we get busy and we've got all this data, the temptation to think, oh, we know, we'll launch a program that does this, (laughs) and we'll go help those people. And the intention is good. The intention is pure, but community-led, community-informed approaches, community-led communications, community spokespeople are so important. I just can't overemphasize this. What other one or two other insights would you like to share if somebody gets the opportunity to truly start from scratch at billions of dollars um, and thousands of employees um, or not, or a little bit smaller. You know, the exciting thing about that is the opportunity to be really entrepreneurial. And every big company that I know, including great ones, struggles with the issue of how do we Make sure that as we grow, we don't get too bureaucratic. We don't get too stuck in our ways. You know, we don't make change so difficult that people just don't want to try. And so that entrepreneurial mindset of, you know what? Let's just try it. Obviously, if it's ethical and, and, and legal, but let's give it a shot. And, you know, we might learn something. So I want to just do one more thing, which is, in five years, now you've accomplished so much in two, but in five <laughs> years, um, well, let's say we're at 2030, which is somewhere close to that. It's about six or seven. But where do you wish or what do you hope Organon's going to be? I'm going to go back to your original comment around innovation. I think we know there are such incredible gaps in women's health that I hope we can continue to build our pipeline with innovative new medicines, devices that meet those unmet needs of women. That is our core business. That is how we can have the greatest impact on women's health. And then secondly, I hope that our access programs, uh, I hope we meet those goals early. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here in 2023 and, and move the goalposts yet, but, but we have a goal to help prevent 120 million unplanned pregnancies by 2030. And if I'm worried about meeting that goal in 2029, I'm going to be disappointed. I, I would love to see us dust it earlier than that. And I think it can be done with the right kind of outreach and education. I think it can be done. I read you're 50% of the way there almost. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And this is an area where we can get really good data, you know, because, you know, we, we of course track very carefully and know how many of these long acting reversible contraceptives are actually used by women. There's pretty well recognized methodology around uh, the number of unplanned pregnancies that could be avoided. And I'm even hopeful we can get there earlier. Well, knowing you with your (laughs) incredible intentionality, um, your just unending smarts and energy and ability to collaborate, you will get there. I know I'm going to see that release, that press release very early. And for our listeners, Geraldine is, I mean, she went through 
something that none of us ever want to go through um, in 2015. But she has come through that with incredible grace and, um, again, fortitude. And I, I just think that your role is doing so much for women's health that I can't wait to, I'm, you know, I, I'm subscribing to your press releases. I'm going to cheer, <laughs> cheer them every day. I'm going to write them on social media because uh, you are one of the most incredible people to help drive this company forward. Well, Carol, I really appreciate your very generous comments. And, you know, I, I really appreciate what you do to talking about the power of purpose, because whether we're talking about personal resilience and overcoming you know, a, a, a health challenge or, or a professional challenge, having a clear-eyed personal purpose and a perspective, you know, and an intentionality around how you spend your time, I think is critical to that resilience. It was certainly important for me as I tried to rebuild after the crash. But it's also important in the corporate sphere. You know, companies that have a clear sense of purpose and, and that stay focused on the North Star, that is the key to long-term sustainability there as well. It's key to employee engagement. It's key to keeping everybody rowing in the same direction. You know, your other stakeholders, your customers, your investors, the media appreciates it as well. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Geraldine Ritter. One of the most extraordinary conversations I've had in a very long time. Oh, thank you, Carol. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener, please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. Thanks so much for listening.